Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. And hello, everybody. This is Script Shop. Welcome to Script Shop, as Allison just said mere moments ago with that music playing. Uh, let's see. In the music, I say, welcome to Script Shop. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it was. Uh, that was Allison West talking. Hi, I'm Jack Crumley, and yep. we are here to talk about scripts with you. Yeah, Script Shop. We love screenwriters. We love their stories. We love figuring out their personal stories and what inspired the script that we're talking about currently. And we are happy to be here. We're very happy to be here. Thank you for listening. And uh, so our guest today is a gentleman by the name of Muse Seymour. Muse. Muse. What an appropriate name for a writer. Yeah, or yeah, or like if he was like dating somebody who was a writer, that would be helpful too. If he was the muse for somebody. Right. He, I mean, he could be a muse for anybody. It doesn't yeah. have to just be a writer. So the first time I met Muse, uh-huh. it was at this bar in Chicago, and he was wearing like all these patterns, lots of different patterns, which I'm totally into. Glasses, like long as a hair. Sh- like a shirt, like a pattern shirt. Yeah, but then also like his bow tie was a different pattern. Okay. He had on a, a blazer coat that was a different pattern. I don't think he had a bow tie. Maybe a regular one, or okay. maybe maybe no tie at all. <laughs> he was just going let the super neck wear cash. Go. <laughs> But he also has like kind of silvery long hair too, and so mm-hmm. I started chatting with him. And he he said his name was Muse, and I and I was just hooked. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Who are you? Say that again. Who Muse? Muse? And it was one of those things where we chit chatted for a while, and then I had to like go and find somebody else. And I was like, I'm gonna come back, Muse. I'm gonna yeah. find you. Don't forget me. Exactly. <laughs> whispered it into his ear. Yeah. I'll be back for you. <laughs> Don't forget me, Muse. Okay. Well, that's cool. So you've known him for how long? Oh, gosh. Since the summer. Okay, cool. Yeah. He just kicked it with me in Chicago for a film festival. Nice. Well, we're glad to have him on. He wrote a uh, 36-page narrative short called The Donut Admirer mm. that we're going to be talking mm. about him with today. It's mm. a plate. Donuts. <laughs> I was going to say, okay, that, that makes sense. We brought some in. That tracks. Oh. Yeah, we should have brought some in. Oh, I've got Dunkin' Donuts coffee over here. Oh, sponsorship there opportunity. Just, if you're listening, Dunkin' Donuts, that iced mocha's really good. <laughs> uh, anyway, so the Donut Admirer is a described as a, a playful romp slash mystery in a mediocre office. And did you say 36-page narrative short? 36-page narrative yeah. short. Yes, I just I had to make sure that we got it in there because okay. page length is so interesting. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, uh, once again, as always, thank you to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for housing us and supplying us with uh, facilities for us to do this show. We appreciate it. Yes. And uh, listen, listeners. (laughs) Listen up. Listen carefully. Listen, listeners. If you like our show, and you know what? Let's say you're curious about it. What goes on behind the scenes? Mm. What goes on with those writers? What does Frank (laughs) actually look like? If you have these burning questions in your mind, you mm-hmm. could likely find information to them on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Just follow us at Script Shop Show. 
Um, you can also follow us online, www.scriptshopshow.com, where we welcome all of your script submissions because we want to read your scripts. Yeah, there's a tab right there where you can submit if you have written something and you'd like us to, uh, to read it and see about having you on the show. Is Frank's face, uh, people can't find Fra- Frank's face on any of our I'm not sure he shows up on website film. or, or <laughs> you think he's just immune. <laughs> Frank, listen, listeners, that's my new favorite thing to say. Yeah, right. Frank's laughing, but you can't tell because well, he I, doesn't. <laughs> no, I also have yeah. his mic off. No, we so don't allow really him to speak tell. sometimes. It's on now. Frank, do you want to talk about what you look like or anything? Um, I was told earlier that I was going to use up all the um, <laughs> words I'm allowed to talk <laughs> that's right. tonight, so I better not. No, well, <laughs> hold on to those for when you really need them. <clears throat> Two redheads and Frank. That's what we got here. There we go. Yeah, thank so, you. Yeah, there we go. Hey, Jack, do you want to talk about what you're watching lately? Um, you know, I did just, uh, Hateful Eight just got put up on Netflix and right. I haven't seen that in months and geez, that's a, that is just, it's very Tarantino and I really, 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 really enjoy it. Walt Goggins slays in that movie. Slays? Like S-L-A-Y-S or S-L-E-I-G-H-S? He, the, the first one. <laughs> he just doesn't hop on a sleigh and go for a ride. I mean, they're in a buggy for a little bit in the beginning, but it's not like a sleigh sleigh. No, Walt Goggins brings something to the table with everything I've seen him in, and I really enjoy that. And it's a great, uh, That's. I mean, it's a Tarantino movie. It's a ton of fun. So are you into Tarantino or are you into Westerns? Uh, both. Yeah. Both. Ooh, nice. Well, I'm totally into Westerns, so mm-hmm. I need to get on watching that mm-hmm. on yeah, you Netflix should. before it disappears. What are you watching? I've been watching the OA. The OA. Oh, yeah, you've been talking yep. about this. Um, <clears throat> spoiler alert, I figured out what the OA stood for before they revealed it in the episode, so very pleased with myself. Mm, good job. Uh, Leah Watson, who wrote Skinner and was our first release one, she mm-hmm. encouraged me to watch it. It's got a lot of... I mean, it's got a lot of stuff going on in terms of like rhythm and beats and slow story burn that I think she does a lot of really good stuff with. Oh, cool. Okay. And so it was neat to kind of watch that and be able to reference her script again in that light. So I think I'm on episode six or seven of the first season, which is the only stuff that's available on Netflix. Yeah, it's the only thing so far. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's cool. All right. Well, uh, I think it's uh, I think it's guest time. Yeah. Ooh. Let's uh, let's uh, do some button pushing and. Uh, Beep boop boop. Call- zip. Come in, Muse Seymour. Do you hear us, Muse? How did you get into robot college, Allison? (laughs) That's a good question. Uh, They require you to submit an application. Mine was filled with 00101001s. Handwritten or typed? Obviously, I just sent it through an email, Muse. Oh, I thought maybe you used the fax machine. That's disappointing to hear. <laughs> fax machine. Well, you can't go analog in your application for robot college. That seems pretty, pro- that's problematic for your admission right there. Well, bureaucracy is always behind. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Welcome, Muse. This got off to a weird start. Hi, Muse. Thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> yes, thank you for having me. Uh, where are you? Uh, I am currently in the living room of a house in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Okay. I meant, like, where are you in life? Like, emotionally. Yeah. Where are you? Oh, emotionally? Yeah. Well, you know, it's a pretty good place. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything seems to be flowing within my chi at the right level. Perfect. <laughs> everything is great. Well, good. <laughs> it's been a wild, wild autumn. Nice. Well, hopefully we can get into uh, get into that stuff. So now you've known Allison for a few months, and uh, again, nice to meet you here. Uh, you wrote a script called The Donut Admirer, which is a uh, a fun, quirky script. How long have you been writing? I started writing back in university when I was about 
19 or 20, so maybe about 15 years now. Okay. Has it always been screenplays for you? No, uh, I've had a, a number of I've had a number of poems published in various journals and things like that. A um, poet stories, um, some flash fiction stuff, as well as like uh, short personal essay kind of things. Um, kind of whatever falls out of me, and then I'm not lazy and try to submit things every once in a while. That's cool, and in varying degrees of success as far as publication goes. Yeah, I mean it's it's more of been a, an outlet for me. Uh, up until recently than, than like a career choice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, you know, things times would be more creative than others, and I never really forced things, and I never really looked at it as a way of making money, just kind of an outlet to get things down on paper or get rid of emotions or ideas or whatever it might be. And then if something comes out of it that you can, you can build off of, you, you know, I would polish it up a little bit, and then maybe I would dive into like a, a writer's digest or whatever, the writer's market book, and find some places that it fit to submit. Um, so I've never really pushed too hard for it, anything like that, but it's it's fun when something gets put on the paper. That's always cool. So Muse, you said that you've just recently started focusing on this as a career choice, but what else have you done, like with your to make money uh, to make your career as it is up to this point? Uh, sure. So I did a lot of stuff in the tech space, uh, working with a lot of startups and tech companies and things, in community management and content creation and things like that. Most recently, I was living in Paris working for Spotify, um, creating their, as their creative content person uh, for Spotify US and dealing with artists and stuff and creating camp, you know, campaign ideas and different types of engagement ideas to work with the community and playlists and Ooh. stuff like that around like weird holidays and stuff. So you were working with uh, like musicians in Paris? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I've, up until the last couple of months when I, since I've been back here in the States, I spent the last three plus years living in either London or Paris. What the heck brought you back? Why wouldn't you just stay? I, I don't know. I would enjoy staying there. I came Originally, I came back for a film festival that the Donut Admirer was in and ended up getting caught up in uh, this weird theater production uh, that Allison knows a bit about where we created this immersive haunted house sort of theater thing around the gags of the clown, the clown that showed up, uh, that just kind of showed up randomly around Green Bay a couple years ago. And uh, with a short film, and it's soon to be a feature film coming out, we created an immersive theater thing. I get kind of really way too involved in that. It's about nine different things with the, the production farm uh, was the group that put that on, which was amazing. And then, uh, you know, you meet some people, and suddenly you decide to stay and build cool stuff. Muse, you sound like a bit of a like a very spiritual type of artistic gypsy. You're just kind of like following your bliss through Paris and London and then back into Green Bay and through theater, then this film becomes this film and that stuff, et cetera. Yeah, my life is pretty organic, I guess. The friends in Paris just kind of called. They decided I was a hobo because I carried all my belongings on me and I spent a lot of time riding trains. So that's not really all that. Is that because you were sleeping on the train? Every once in a while, that's a must. So why Green Bay, Wisconsin then? Is that like where the family's from? Yeah, that's where I was born and raised originally. Um, So coming back here, you know, it's like a home base when I am in the state. Now now I guess it's going to be home again. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's a lot more, uh, it's a lot different now than it was when I left a few years ago. There's a lot more creative people have come back. Wyatt and Carolyn, for example, came back from New York 
Wyatt was on, uh, he was an actor on The Guy Code on MTV for five seasons. He was one of the, the stars of that show. Okay. Um, and they did a lot of off-Broadway stuff and things like that. They recently moved back to the area and started their production farm. Um, they've got a friend who owns a production company out of New Jersey, Doug Warner. He's moving back out. He's moving out his whole company out here uh, at the beginning of next year. Michael Sable, who's a director, he directed the most recent thing is Rape, but he used to work on shows. Like if there was an action show in the, in the 80s, like he worked on it as a, a director or a second director or whatever, okay. you know, from Knight Rider to like like, uh, like Magnum P.I. probably. I mean, the guy who was on like every action show there was the man. Wow. He moved back to the area recently within the last couple of years as well. And his last film he filmed over here, which is cool. So there's the more of a, a space for things. And, and you met, Allison, you met a couple of the, the, the newer uh, directors coming out of Milwaukee too. Ryan Fox, mm-hmm. things like that. Yep. Um, a lot more going on here than there was a, a handful of years ago, which is really neat. So you just feel like you're kind of finding your community now. Yeah, collectives of sorts to create things and make things with. And you f- finding people with the skill sets that that are opposite of what mine are to help make these things more of a reality, which is, as we know, can be really difficult. Mm-hmm. When you're not very good at editing, sometimes finding a good editor when you don't have anyone around is really difficult. Mm-hmm. So getting to know people or finding people with those skills is very important in independent film, as you guys both know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about, again, this idea of like pulling people together. And so this is all new for you, too, learning how to rely on other artists with different skill sets than what you have. You didn't have anything like this in Paris when you were living there? Uh, there might have been something, uh, you know, uh, I moved to Paris originally not really speaking the language much at all, so that's always a barrier as well, um, and I'm sure it had I spent more time kind of doing those things or finding those different places um, and, and those pockets of people, it probably would have been something I could find, mm-hmm. but here it just kind of like no matter what I was doing whenever I came back for something, I was meeting someone new in the film space that had just come back from like LA or New York or, you know, like Kurt Krause who just done it. He's got a feature film in the works and he'd just come up from like a couple of different shoots in Chicago and things like that. And and you're realizing that there are just like, I just kept randomly running into people and meeting people in the space who had different talents and different skills that i I wasn't doing that I, a little bit in London. I, you know, I found some other filmmakers and things, but here it just, like for the little bit of time that I had spent here, the amount of people I had met in six to nine months involved in, in film in some way, it was ridiculous. Yeah. So you wrote this script called the donut admirer, which is a very, like, like we said, quirky and specific. And there, there, I felt like it was a very visual story. And where, where we can talk about, I guess, into some of this stuff, where, where did this come from? <laughs> um, so it actually kind of came, it was a spec script. So I had been, a friend of mine had worked in, um, she'd done like a tech show, like talk show kind of things where she would interview uh, different co-founders or founders of uh, different tech companies and startups and things like that. And I'd known her from my days working in tech. And we'd always stayed in touch and stayed friends throughout the years. Um, and then all of a sudden one day I saw on Facebook, she put up Arabella, who, Arabella DeLuca, who actually directed uh, the movie Silent Melody that I wrote, she came up with a story for. Um, she had said, uh, I'm looking to get into narrative filmmaking, you know, into directing and things like that, but I'm not, the, but, you know, do I know any screenwriters? And so I sent her a message that actually 
I do that. And I just kind of switched my focus to me like, I need to write more and I want to get back into writing scripts. So kind of the fate kind of aligned was like, I was looking to do more of this and she was looking to get into it. And we had a, a Skype call from, she was in San Francisco. I was in London in my flat and I she was like, oh, do you have any, like, short scripts I could read and or da-da-da? And then, you know, we'll, we'll talk tomorrow because it was just a really quick call. You know, like, we'll talk tomorrow and you can send it to me after we're done talking. And I was like, oh, yeah, I got lots of stuff, right? Because that's what you always say. Right, sure. <laughs> and then you and, stay uh, up all night writing no- everything you possibly nothing. can. <laughs> right, I had nothing. I had absolutely nothing. <laughs> and I had this meeting, essentially, in, in, uh. in the next day. And I had not. I also had no ideas as well. So it was a really problematic situation. I'm like, I've got to write a short film, like, really quickly. Like, what do I do? And uh, I'm talking to a few friends and talking to my, uh, you know, I talked to my friend Kaylin, who lives in Green Bay as well. And she said something about like, you should write a movie about a donut. And then at the same time, you know, I was like, no, that's really stupid, right? Or texting her, not calling her. And uh, and then I'm calling. I'm talking to my my friend Ada. Um, this brilliant photographer in, from Bucharest that lives in London now. And, and uh, she, you know, she's trying to give me some ideas and things like that. And then I get, a, I get this text from my mom with a photo of a, a punchki, which I don't know if you know what that is. Oh, yeah. I grew up in Northeast Ohio. There's a lot of Hungarians uh, and uh, the Polish community up there is huge. Absolutely punchkis. Right. Yeah. It's like the most delicious donut on the planet, yeah. right? <laughs> and I was like, and then suddenly like something clicked in me and I was and I'm still talking to Ada and I go, I got an idea. I got to let you go. I'll send it to you when I'm done. Wow, so that was the, the Punchki inspiration. Right, yeah, it was divine inspiration from Poland. Yeah. My great-grandmother would be so proud. Yeah. But so then 20 hours later, this is what came out. It ended up being way longer than a short film. Yeah. Um, but that's just what happened. It was just kind of a really long, yeah, I stayed up all night, and I just kind of kept writing, and it kept coming. And, you know, after some editing in, in Ireland and some more editing in Paris and this is where it ended up. <laughs> Does your mom take all the credit for this now? <laughs> I don't know if she actually knows that. Story. Muse, yeah. walk into the next room and tell your mother thank you. Yeah. Oh, so I was at my mother's house. That would be really weird if she was here. If that's the case, I might have to let you go. <laughs> well, we ought to, we got, we, or we need to try to conference her in to get, because I mean, she should get some kind of creator credit on on this thing. She'll get the thank you in the end credit right go. next to David Duchovny. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, obviously, the Donut Admirer, you took this wacky prompt of an idea, Donut, and created a script out of it. How did the other elements come in, you know, setting um, kind of the characterizations themselves? And if you want to just kind of set the setting for our listeners, that'd be great, too. Yeah, give us a brief description of what the Donut Admirer is, more so than just it's a wacky, quirky workplace mystery. Yeah, um... I kind of like the idea that came into my head was, you know, like what would happen if you like, you have this really boring job, like, and this is going to sound bad to the people I know who did it, but I have so many people who were very creative that I knew in university and things like that, that graduated. And then, you know, like we all kind of stumble trying to find work or whatever when you first get out of, get out of university, especially depending on what time you graduated. Um, But I have so many that fell just like into the insurance space or like, like, like most of them work for like a lot of people work for like Humana or like these big insurance company things, and like, like, and so many of them sadly don't write or do creative things anymore. Yeah. You know, so I kind of wanted to take that idea of, you know, you go to this office every day and it's all the same and it's always the same people and it's always the same wardrobe and like the same movements and you're doing the same thing day and day and day and day and day and, day and, day and, and you kind of lose that 
like whimsy that you used to have and it becomes just so mundane that like anything out of the ordinary is like this crazy what just what is this why is this here okay and it throws your entire day off so the idea was what would happen if you just kind of came in and there was a donut on your desk that spun into this secret admirer scenario um that was totally misconstrued i mean it's and it comes down to basically just a, a ridiculous sexual <laughs> workplace part. <farm. laughs> I'm sorry, I'm I'm twittering at the word sexual <laughs> in, in an office right? setting. Hello. Right. right. Yeah, so this guy, Josh, keeps coming into work at his boring drone job, and every day when he comes in, there's just a donut at his desk. Right, with no, with no, there's nothing to tune in on what or why or where it's there for the first God knows how many days. Right. And then all of a sudden it just kind of escalates and becomes a note. And then it becomes a sexy gift. And then it becomes a meet me. And he just keeps getting it wrong. And everything, it's, it's, a, it's just coincidence has gone bad, essentially. And he's the poor, the, the poor guy. The poor guy is really getting nothing out of this. And then in the meantime, then he's getting chewed out by his boss and then trying to get some kind of advice from his, his couple of roommate buddies who are no help at all. No help, right? <laughs> They're just as mundane as the office at this point. Yeah. Like even his friends do the same thing day in and day out. One's a lawyer, one's a stoner who sits on his couch and just they just eat Chinese and play Grand Theft Auto like every evening and drink <laughs> beer. Um, you know, it's just the idea of breaking up that monotony and what happens and how and, and when you chase that sometimes without really thinking about or you know being observant to what's around you, like you can really get into a really bad situation. But at the same time, it can open you up to realize how awful everything is and you just eventually just say oh to heck with it well, let's go do this like I, something different needs to happen this was way better than the everyday boringness i did have once you know once you kind of get into it you just kind of give up and you're like whatever i'm gonna go with it right i'm gonna go with what's happening yeah i think about too because we have this guy's donut and this becomes what his world just yeah. pivots around so the escapism that this donut gives him in terms of the life he's constructed for himself, it's, it's very, very poignant for him. You know, he can't not try to figure this out because it's just so much more interesting than the other setup he has for himself, which is his job and his roommates, etc. Wow. Kind of the monotony he's gotten himself into. We should probably read a, uh, a little uh, excerpt from the script, yeah? Yeah. Okay, so we are going to read a little bit from the script. Um, exactly what Jack just said. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to go through a couple of scenes. I'm going to be playing the role of the boss, Marjorie. Jack will be playing Josh, the main character. Muse will be playing the intercom voice, Tina. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> or Tim, I guess, if it's a boy. No, you got to do your Tina voice. You've, T- been, you've been getting ready for this, oh, right, Tina. Muse? Yeah. <laughs> uh... <laughs> That's it. Bob's Burgers, That's I love it. this show so much. <laughs> And then we have Frank here as well. And Frank's going to be narrating, doing all of our action headings, et cetera. So, hi, Frank. Hi. They've already heard my voice. <laughs> I mean, I was just saying hi. Oh. Okay. He's so... He, 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 I feel like he's shaken now. Like, you've put him into this space where he's got to be careful all the time. It's still funny, though. It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> okay. So, um, Frank, whenever you're ready. Muse, are you ready? Yeah. Okay, great. Frank, whenever you're ready, take it away. Interior. Office elevator. Morning. Day two. Josh rides the elevator up to his 23rd floor cubicle at a large insurance company with several other employees. Same boring office. Same boring people. Same boring office casual. Same boring job. 
Nothing like monotony. Interior. Office floor. Josh exits the elevator and heads for his desk space. Interior. Office cubicle. He sets his bag down and turns to put his coat on the hook he has on his cubicle wall and spins to sit down in the chair. He goes to wiggle the mouse to log on to his computer, but instead of putting his hand on the mouse, he puts his hand on a white frosted donut with sprinkles. Again? Josh stands up and looks all around the office floor to see if anyone is watching him. He sees his boss, Marjorie, a small middle-aged woman in a business suit. She points at him angrily and points to her office door. Josh rises from his desk and makes the walk of shame to Marjorie's office. Interior, office, morning. Marjorie sternly walks behind her desk like a disciplinary nun from the 50s Catholic school, just waiting to wrap him on the knuckles. Sit! Josh takes a seat and watches as she stares out the window, out onto downtown Chicago. Good morning, Marge. How long have you been working here? Over four years now. Why have I never noticed you before? Do you always just stand around and skulk, or do you actually have work to do? What? I'm sure you have adjusting or claims reports or whatever instead of gawking at everything in the office. Marjorie presses a button on the device on her desk. Tina, make certain we find Mr... Marjorie looks at Josh. Care. Oh, who cares? Find this man some work so he'll stop staring at everything else in sight like a lost simpleton. And get Becky to find out who put avocado on Mr. Braun's breakfast sandwich. Right away, Mother. Josh just sits there in shock. Marjorie had been the person who had hired him in the first place and now had no idea who he was. Interior, office, four years earlier. And what do you have to offer this company? Well, I'm a hard worker and a fast learner. Whatever it takes to be a successful claims adjuster here. You'd better be, mister. We don't have time to just sit around and chat all day. Now take one of those empty cubicles and get to work. Talk to my secretary on the way out and she'll get HR to get you your paperwork. Interior. Office. Present day. What are you just sitting there for? Josh rises from the chair and leaves Marjorie's office in baffled silence. And scene. scene. There we go. The monotony of Josh's life with a little bit of sprinkly donut sprinkled in there. And, you know, it's fun reading that script, Muse, the the way that you've got all that narration going. And this is, you know, this this movie, this script takes place over the course of like 45 days. And the number of times you had to write some of those same sentences over again, a lot in this script. Yeah, they're the same every time. And I actually did not copy and paste any of them. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I... It was kind of about the pacing of it. So if I kept typing it the same way, every time you would go to type it, you would type it a little bit faster and then a little bit faster and a little bit faster. So it kind of kept the ball rolling from like the monotony, just like the, just it mimics the plot and how that's rolling as well. I write differently depending on the, the pacing I want to get in my writing. So sometimes I'll just write with a pen and paper or whatever, but that was one way to like mimic the pacing with my writing. Yeah, so you were really, you could really relate to what this Josh guy was going through because you were doing this sort of over and over again repetitive motion thing too. Correct, and I was listening to actual records, so then getting up every 15 minutes to flip it or find a new uh, one as well. So, yeah. you know, there was that too. Yeah. You know, it's funny because um, just hearing you talk about the the actual physicality of writing this script, the script, when you read it too, you really get, you really get into this world. You get into the elevator with him. You get into the hallway. You get into the same boring office casuals, same hole, this and that and this. And it's, you know, just hearing that you didn't copy and paste that, but that you again, organically <laughs> put those words down each time it was appropriate. I, you can feel that in the script, which is really neat to see. 
That's that's excellent. <laughs> so there's a there's there's a definite narrative rhythm to this script, and then if you know when it would come time to actually turn this into a short film, does that sort of translate then into a, a visual rhythm where you're, I mean, doing the same shots over and over again to sort of let the audience know how repetitive all this is? Yeah, I think so. Um, there's a couple of things I had been watching a lot at the time when I wrote this. I've been watching a lot of Blake Edwards which is why it turns into like kind of a ridiculous physical farce at the end. And he's the one who did the Pink Panther movies. And oh, wow. Okay, yeah. That shot in the dark. And, uh, and then by the end of the movie, it's just so ridiculous as to what's going on. And Peter saw such an amazing physical comic. Like, that's kind of what was in my head at the ending. And then I've been watching a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright films. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, and that... they do a lot of that. Like, it's, like, especially in, like, Shaun of the Dead. Or, you know, in Hot Fuzz, how they come back to those same types of shots, just that, just that now it looks totally different because the situation has changed. Right. Yeah, especially Hot Fuzz, um, like when they go to the pub and there's that rhythm of, like, pouring the drinks. And, yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, he's very rhythmic, Edgar Wright and his directing style, and I love that. Um, so that was kind of what was in my head as well, as I've been, you know, doing a lot of that. I've been reading, you know, like, I think Baby Driver was in a script phase at that point, okay. if I'm not mistaken. And I just read some of that, and... Um, yeah, that was definitely in, you know, as I was writing, that was definitely one of the influences. As I look back, I can definitely see that one. And Blake Edwards is really clear because I was watching a shot in the dark like twice a week for like a month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you know that the ending you have now was going to be there while you were writing this? No, not at all. What led you to this ending? Not at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, probably about halfway through or so when it started to get to the point where, like, something needed to happen, it can't just be a donut or a note anymore, and then it ends up when he gets that gift box on his desk. It's like, well, what would possibly be in this gift box? And you're like, I know it would be in this gift box. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, it's the only one thing that could possibly be in the gift box. And then the, the leading down that path, it had to end up there at that point. Like, with the way it was leading, eventually he was going to have to take the plunge into, like, all right, I'm going to follow through on this donut thing in spite of the setbacks. And there was no way it was ever going to work out for him. I mean, if it did, that would just be really boring. And well, or maybe I could sell it to Hallmark. I guess <laughs> that's a whole different movie, <laughs> right? Can we talk about the ending and how he starts to follow through on these notes? And then there's a thing that says, "Meet me in the in the in the supply closet." So yeah, eventually, you know, it comes that he, he he gets told to have the first meeting, and he ends up clearly meeting the wrong woman, ending up in the wrong space which is baffling to him and he gets really embarrassed and like runs home literally and leaves his stuff in the office yeah um and then he comes back and, and after being wanting to be done with all of it he gets this like gift box on the desk and it's it's women's undergarment mm. like meet me in the supply closet and then he gets pulled into marjorie again and of course because that's part of the monotony of his day at this point once the donut shows up the monotony is still there it just changes to be a little more yelly but then he goes to meet her in the supply closet, and, and he's not the only one there, and he's not supposed to be there at all. Mm-hmm. You know? Spoiler alert. Um, and he's totally mistaken all of this, and none of this was even meant for him to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and he still ends up uh, getting something out of it at the end, I guess, implied. Yeah, he does make a nice <laughs> little romantic connection there in the very final moments of the script with a different gal who was sort of involved in a... In, in a, a different way. In a subplot that we don't... Yeah, that was always just kind of on the periphery. Right, yeah, I didn't want to bring her up, but if if 
you, depending on how it's shot or whatever, you know, if we ever go to shoot this, you might see that girl in the flashback as the secretary. Oh, that's a good idea. That's yeah. nice. Yeah. Because that was her original job, and she lost that job when the when Marjorie hires her daughter to be her assistant. Right. So, you know, you say you might see this person in a flashback in the production. Do you think about rewrites or anything on this? Of course. Um, you know, because no matter what, when you, you've got the script and before, when, once you get the, a cast in place or anything like that, or you start working with a director, if it's not you, they're going to have ideas of what needs to be different, and you're going to find out that certain members of the cast have certain talents or different ways of saying things or whatever that might be, or the chemistry between things might, you know, one character and another might be different. And then you end up doing your, your shooting rewrite. I mean, that's, that's bound to happen nine times out of ten, I would think, I would hope. <laughs> um, because right now, it's just, these are just the characters that have been in my head. And filmmaking is a ridiculously collaborative process, yeah. especially for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, right now, I, I, I like the script as it is, and I think it's, it's fun, and it's, it's goofy, and it's, it's weird, and it accomplished what I wanted to. But when you get those other minds and those other voices involved, you also have ideas and might see something different that I haven't, well, then that can definitely lead to a different rewrite based off of the feedback from, like, a director or a producer or even an actor. Um, and that's a good thing. It forces, forces me to evolve. Mm-hmm. Is it more fun when you're doing a, a short when you're writing a short, is it more fun to make it sort of a weird, quirky, different sort of thing than like a more of a traditional straight ABC narrative? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think sometimes if you try to make a straight ABC narrative in a short, you end up either creating ridiculous plot holes sometimes because there's just not enough time to tell it correctly sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, trying to do something weird and, like, out there and, like, quirky and, you know, that doesn't necessarily follow the logical flow for, you know, 90 to 120 pages sometimes can be brilliant. You know, I mean, Aronofsky's made a living out of it, basically. Yeah. Um, but other time, but yeah, I would say for most of us who aren't, you know, a genius, you know, like Charlie Kaufman, yeah. it, it can end up being a disaster. It becomes like an inside thing between you and the few friends of yours who have that same weird humor that you talk to about daily things. Yeah, because you only have so many pages. I mean, it's a short, so you get, you know, that having something that's so sort of uniquely created gives you more of a hook. Yeah, and I, you know, and I think, you know, even when you get to, like, this is a really long short at 36. Yeah. You know, when you get into some of the things, when you're trying to do something in 10 pages or less, sometimes it's almost better to be weird than it is to be a storyteller. And also, too, you know, we're talking about just the flow of this one, too, which mm-hmm. the story is just, it's just requiring this repetitiveness, this flow, this kind of like the time it's going to take for him to really live through these days. Yeah. <laughs> kind of this hellish monotony. It's it's just the way that the story is going to break out at that point. Yeah. You know, hey, Muse, I had a question, yeah. though, too, because mm-hmm. there's so much absurdity in this script and the Marjorie character, she runs into Josh so many times, and it's like every single time she doesn't remember him. Is that a statement on, like, how how lost he is within this system? Or is it just kind of an absurdist character implication? It's a little of both. I think part of it is that she's just an absurd character. But I think also part of it is, is I think, like, Working in a giant corporation like that and, like, doing that monotonous job, that, to me, is hell on earth. Like, I can't imagine myself doing that. 
and props to anyone who does it and loves their job, but like that is not me. So, you know, and I know, you know, I've worked with big companies before, you know, I worked with Vodafone in the UK. I mean, Spotify is not a small company yeah. at this point. But um, the idea of basically, like, there are so many damn people working there that you are more of a number or a name on a page than you are a face with a name. Like, so for her, for Marjorie, it's just as repetitive and monotonous that she doesn't even see different faces anymore. They're just all the same people. They're just, uh, they're just people who go to cubicles and she does not care. Yeah. Yeah, she's sort of stuck in the same hell loop yeah. also. Right. And so the whole time, like, this company is trying to get sold, right, with the, the negotiations with the, the, the Mr. Prawn character or whatever. And she's just, so she, she's trying to get out of it. And I wanted to kind of get that, like, everyone, no one wants to be there. Like, you can tell that from the secretary. She, she's only there because her mother got her a job, and the job is better than the alternative. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like, the Becky character, the one who is, uh, who is poisoning Mr. Brown, if you will, yeah. uh, she had a job that she was okay with, and then it got thrown into this, and she ate. So now she's, trying to, she's just trying to get back at people because now she hates the monotony of her job every day, setting up for these meetings and, like, catering to these these rich, you know, upper management people and things like that. Like, so she's trying to get out of it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's really no one in the story in that office who, who doesn't, who's not trying to get out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, the secretary is having an affair with, or a relationship with just some guy down the hall in an office closet and an elevator, I guess. Yeah. The bit with the boss reminded me, like, the fact that he keeps getting called in and getting yelled at by his boss. It For some reason, I got a, I got a vibe from Visioneers, the, the Zach Galifianakis really weird movie. No. Okay. But he's I'm intrigued. He's like, it, Visioneers is way out there, and it, it, so it's not a real direct one-to-one, but he's working at this company, and it, it it's sort of the same kind of vibe of this, like, weird sort of drone office setting, and then the plot in it really goes bonkers because people, like, Start exploding at work. Oh, it, it's real wacky. I think you'd, I think you'd kind of dig it, man. I kind of got that vibe when he keeps getting yelled at by the boss over and over again. That Galifianakis sounds perfect for that role. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Him yeah. or Buster from Arrested Development. Oh, that's a good call. Oh, yeah, for sure. I love that guy. Yeah, Tony Hale, right? Yeah, right? yeah. he's so yeah, good. Tony Hale. I, you know, yeah, he, he's he's so slow, like intentionally slow. Mm-hmm. Right. It's beautiful. He's so specific. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Muse, were you in France when you wrote this? I was in London when I wrote this. So this was shortly after I had exited the startup I was with, uh, which is called Nimber out of the UK. And uh, I had decided to spend, I I still had a a flat in London. This is right before I moved to Paris. So I had a few months in London where I was not going to an office. I wasn't really working for anyone all day. So I kind of just focused on some writing for a while. Um, which was amazing. I hadn't done that in years. So uh, it was really refreshing. And then getting this out and then working on a couple of other things and and then, you know, writing that other silent melody and then shooting that at last a year ago. Yeah. A year ago we did that. Um, and screening that at a couple of places and stuff. Like, it, it kind of makes... We start doing that, you're like, oh, this regular work thing sounds awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it's not great. <laughs> no. No, not at all. One of the things I was going to ask, and when we were getting ready for the show, I, I wrote down, have you been involved in a monotonous job with a crappy boss? But from everything you've described, no, it doesn't sound like you have at all, which is great. <laughs> I've literally spent my life avoiding it. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Muse, so do your characters, are they British characters then, or do you hear them as being American? 
No, I mean, this one is set in Chicago, or, mm-hmm. or it can be set anywhere, really, in any office building. I just chose Chicago because I particularly like Chicago. Plus, uh, the characters actually, so they're, they're slightly, loosely homage to friends of ours, a couple of them. So, for example, when I was picturing the character of Josh, Chris Pinner was the visual. Oh, uh, my gosh. <laughs> Does he know oh, this? Right. I don't know if he does or not, but we had a good time in Chicago, so maybe. This I'm that's incredible. So you you based your main character on Chris Pinner. Right, and then I named him Josh for Josh Holt. So. Oh you guys just need to have a sleepover. Well he's like the one person I know who's avoided like this type of a job as hard as he possibly could as I have. Yeah. And and made it work. I mean Josh has absolutely made it work. He's done amazing things, so of course he had to be somewhere in one of these scripts I wrote. That's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> sweet. You know, one of the things that I like to do when I'm reading scripts is, you know, you start thinking about the production elements of it and what it would be like when you're actually filming it and putting it on film, which is what filming it is. Uh, sorry, I was trying to frame the... In my brain, I was trying to frame the question. And in the my, brain space. My mouth wasn't beep, keeping up bop, with me. Beep, boop, boop, beep, bop. It seems to me when I was reading this that soundtrack almost didn't really matter at all outside of, like, elevator music when the guy's at work, but I really felt like lighting and color were really important for this one. Yeah, lighting, especially, I think, the... The one that that always stands out to me as being like the tricky one to film that would have to be very that's super lighting is the scene in the in the supply closet. Yeah. Okay. Because the odds of actually finding a space where you find a supply closet that's basically a long hallway that connects like a U-shaped office are probably nil. So yeah. <laughs> it's going to take a lot of lighting tricks to even make that happen. Um, and then the, you know the ability to like keep one end so that you can't really see but you can kind of see outlines or silhouettes of people like it needs to be almost like noir esque. Yeah. I mean, short of, yeah, short of shooting it in, like, the night vision, yeah. Yeah, so that, that's the one that especially when it came to, like, lighting and, and things like that, that really stands out to me, is trying to do that particular scene. Yeah, and I just picture the work environment also, this, this office cubicle just being just gray, and, like, maybe some of the only color there is this donut that keeps showing up on his desk. Right, and then those ridiculously awful, um, like, the, the office... Like, what do they call those? Like, the tube lights? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, that fluorescent. Just Overhead like, stuff. Yeah, yeah that... those fluorescents. They're so bad for your eyes. Oh, like, man. Yeah. And I, I figure, like, the only place where you would, besides the donut, where you would even see some sort of, like, non, you know, manufactured sort of scene would be the bit, you know, when you see it out the window, but it's still, like, outside a window, right. 23 stories down. You right. know, like, you're still not even a part of the world. And, you know, in terms of, like, lighting it specifically or doing really interesting tonal things, Muse, you had talked before about setting this in, like, the 60s. Is that something you think about still? And by before, I mean outside bit. of this recording. Yeah. We, <laughs> well, we had, we had talked, we had mentioned it a little bit after uh, I had a friend sketch up uh, that, that poster that was, that, that was, like, a 60s, Triple X poster, which are just phenomenal. If you ever it's, look would, them up, there was a Would we be able to share that on our um, social media stuff, Muse? Yeah. Cool. Typo and all, because it never got fixed from Dope Nut, but that also is kind of appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, I, I thought about it because it's, it's, 
it might fit that sort of same theme in a way it could kind of a fun exercise and sort of period writing because I don't think a whole lot would need to be different but just kind of might be fun to like play with the language and like some of the imagery and like just the technology behind all of it like what would the two guys be doing in the apartment because there wouldn't be video games yeah you know like, you know that kind of stuff and you know just the, the aesthetics of shooting it in that that drab sort of blow up of big corporations that happened in the 60s and 70s um, but setting it in a backdrop of like you know with a character that at one point were actually you know 60s type people <laughs> you know the, the yeah. very you know the ones who were going to change the world and and you know with counterculture people and then they get sucked into an office yeah. that was an interesting thought as well so I've, I've thought about it but it's uh it's been a time crunch the last couple of months to really get anything outside of uh working on the gags nightmare do you have anything lined up in terms of pre-production on this other than rewriting or writing or thinking about setting tone etc um I haven't, so we just wrapped with the Gags Nightmare thing about a week ago, um, and kind of taking a bit of a, a little bit of a breather after that, because that was pretty much two months of just 12 to 20 hour days, depending on how much build was going on at the time. So, but we've talked a little bit, uh, Wyatt and I have talked about maybe shooting some things, you know, maybe with Kurt Krauss, um, doing some things maybe with this, or like, um, you've read a couple, you read, well, I know you read one of the other ones. Uh, that I wrote really hastily one night, um, called Early to the Party. Right. Um, some short things, perhaps, you know, shorter than this, because this is obviously a bit of a longer shoot uh, because of the size of the script, but maybe we're doing some of the other shorter scripts that I have penned out that are, you know, 10 pages or less, some short shorts, um, as a way to kind of keep working and, and keep the creative juices flowing between all of us um, that have come together thanks to this lovely theater production Mm -hmm. um but there's some other script ideas too um that i will get back to working on here too um there's a few different things that have been that have started but need to get finished as well and then this one is still making the festival rounds as well it was just in the miami short international cinefest so we'll see how that turns out that's cool and do you travel with it whenever it's in festivals uh (laughs) i try um, obviously I went to Chicago to do that one with you, um, at the Windy City International Film Festival, mm-hmm. directed by Josh Hope. <laughs> um, and then we, uh, I was supposed to go when I came back, I was supposed to go to the Lake Charles Film and Music Festival. It was in that one in Lake Charles, Louisiana. And then I ended up getting involved in the theater thing instead and decided to do the theater thing instead of going to Lake Charles, partially because I found out how hard it was to get to Lake Charles. Apparently, you have to fly to Texas to get to Louisiana. It, it was complicated. Uh-huh. Um, and then the Miami one was just too quick this time, right after that ended. We we wrapped on, I think it was Saturday or Sunday, and then the film festival was Tuesday. And there wasn't much of a lead time for from notification to festival. But some of the other ones I will definitely try to get out for. Because they're fun and that's how I meet people like Allison. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? Next thing you know, we're making a show called Script Shop where we want your script on so that we can continue talking about you yeah. and all of the great work right. that you do. Right. This is, this is the spec script that keeps on giving. <laughs> that's great. Muse, if people want to get in touch with you or contact you about some work, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, there's a couple of different ways. Um, I'm on. Uh, Pretty much if you search Trust Muse on the internet, all one word, you'll find just me. Okay. Um, otherwise, at Trust Muse on Twitter, um, Trust Muse on Facebook, 
uh, muse at trustmuse.co.uk because I lived in the UK. Um, any of those things, or they can always find me through you, Allison. Mm, that's right. Hit me up, your bestie Westy on Twitter. There you go, Allison. The Instagram, Instagram, and then I run all the script shop show stuff online: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah. Yep. Pretty much if there's a social media network out there, Trust Muse is where you're going to find me. Cool Muse. Very uh, easy name to get a hold of, apparently. Now everyone's going to go buy all the names that have Trust Muse in it and try to sell them to me. Nice. <laughs> nice. Great. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, hopefully he gets stiffed on that by big corporations. <laughs> yeah. Jack. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Adobe will be the first one. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, of course. This is fun. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's it's great, Muse. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Sounds good. All right. All right, man. Thanks. Well, so there we go. Muse Seymour. And we're going to have, we'll have contact information for him on, uh, on scriptshopshow.com. That's right. Scriptshopshow.com. Getting much better at saying that. Don't forget, we love screenwriters, obviously. And kisses, we love kisses, hearts, hearts, kisses, kisses, hearts, hearts. And we love reading your stories. If you'd like to chat about your work or work you've recently been a part of, send in your script through our website, scriptshopshow.com slash submit. That's right. And guess what? We need your support. Mm-hmm. If you are listening to us on iTunes. This isn't a money thing, by the way. We need no. your support. This isn't yeah. like we're not, we don't have the hat out. No, <laughs> not yet. We're not, not yet. living on the streets just quite yet. The show hasn't been put out to pasture. <laughs> but anyway, so if you're enjoying this, yes, please. I was enjoying that. I, I was going. I, I was going with it. I know you were. Okay, okay. So if you love us, um, please let us know. Please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. You can also do this on Facebook too. So thank you to everybody who has. And if you haven't yet, please just take a few minutes. To get into your account, leave us a rating or review and uh, let us know how we're doing. And you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Script Shop Show. Uh, Allison's on Twitter at Your Bestie Westy. That's right. I'm on Twitter at Script Shop Jack. Uh, so uh, hit us up. Yeah. And until next week, that's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West. Hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley. Produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.